Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Y'all doing good this morning? Amen. So glad to see you. Can y'all hear that? Isn't that wonderful? Would y'all thank the Lord for having a room full of children over here? They reminded me last week of a promise I made in my haste without thinking. I told them if they ever got to 150, I'd wear a bikini on their stage in there. And they said they, were, they either had 148 or want something, I don't know. But uh, I think I'm going to go with the coconut bra if I do any of them. I think that's what I'm going to And you can't pray that they don't grow, you know. So, Lord, let them just hover around the 145 for a while, you know. Or let the person count and lose his place. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Luke 23, beginning with verse 26. All of the gospel writers share the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and I want to read that story to you found in Luke, but I'm going to blend the different gospels in with the message because one will mention one thing that the other one wouldn't mention, but all of it is truth. So Luke 23, verse 26. And they led Jesus away. A man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him and put the cross, which was Jesus' cross, on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains to fall on them and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. Mark that in your Bible. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Let me just pause here. The naked Christ said, Father, forgive them. The beaten Christ, the tortured Christ, the abandoned Christ, the mocked and bruised Christ, with the crown of thorns, and a back split open in so many places and his visage so marred that the Bible said that people couldn't recognize him. That Jesus said, Father, forgive them. The soldiers then began gambling for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him as well, offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. 
And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn from the middle from top to bottom. And Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But the friends of Jesus, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. The crowd saw an execution. Jesus' friends, those that knew him, saw a sacrifice. The crowd saw three criminals in their mind be sentenced to die. But the people who knew Jesus watched something play out on the grand stage of a hill called Mount Calvary that made them stop and ponder. They saw a man escape from death unto life. They witnessed the grace of God fill his life. They watched Jesus absolve him of his sins. They watched it. It's easy for us to lose sight of the idea that these stories that happened in the Bible could just about be transposed over and be word verbatim, our stories. No, we didn't die on a hill, but there's so many parallels. And I want to take this subject matter of how Jesus saved this thief, this guilty one, and I want to speak to you, especially those of us that don't call ourselves Christians, and maybe you'll see yourself in the mirror of God's word. And when you see yourself, you'll see God and how great his grace is for you today. Would you pray with me one more time this morning? Lord, I just humble myself before you. And I ask you today that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit. That I might preach with great clarity and power. That the eyes of people's understanding would be opened. And they would see the love that you have for them. Lord, I did not come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I pray in the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God that people's faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God Almighty. Have your way in this room, Holy Spirit, and let Jesus be glorified through the preached word. In Christ's name, amen. He saved others. That's one of my favorite portions of scripture. These people that didn't even believe in him and acknowledge him, they made the statement, he saves others. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. He saved others. And I want to show you the type of people he saves in this passage, multiple ways, and it would fit some of you this morning like a glove. Number one, he saves people with a history. It said that two criminals were crucified with him. I wonder what crimes they committed that were so heinous that the death penalty was given to them. I wonder how many times they committed that crime. 
I wonder what crimes they committed that they weren't even found out about. It strikes me that Jesus' last companion on the face of the earth was a criminal. And his first companion into eternal life was a criminal. See, many of us have felt the condescending look of uh, an ignorant, if you will, believer that looks down upon us. They, they look down upon our choices. And in, in one aspect, yes, they're right. But I love the fact that Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. He never embraced the sin. He came to die for the sins, but he hung naked next to a criminal. He saves people with a history. And don't let your history keep you from receiving God's grace. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught very clearly in the Gospels. He said, those that are well don't need a physician. It's the sick people that need a physician. When I got saved, I was a perfect candidate for grace because I was a sinner. Let me give you some examples that would uh, point to the phrase, Jesus, the friend of sinners. There was a harlot in the New Testament. We would say a whore with a history of sexual sins and prostitution and a shattered image to prove it. And Jesus saved her. There was a tax collector who made his fortune stealing from the poor, embezzling funds and shady business deals. And Jesus saved him. There was a Samaritan woman who was a five-time loser in marriage and was now giving herself away for nothing, being shacked up in a relationship, and Jesus saved her. There was a Gadarene man who possessed in himself 5,000 demons. He was under demonic possession of 5,000 demons, and he lived in a graveyard, and he would cut himself with rocks, and he'd wail like an animal. If ever there was an example of satanic power, here's a man that they would chain and chain him to rocks and he would pull the chains out of the rocks and he would run through the tomb screaming and the people in the city could hear him. Children could hear him at night. And Jesus walked up on the shore of his home, this dark place, this dead place. And Jesus said, what is your name? And he said, I pray you don't torment us before the time. He said, I asked you what your name was. He said, we are legion for we are many. And Jesus said, come out of the man. And they said, yes, sir. And he saved this gathering demoniac. And the next time we see him, he's clothed and in his right mind. Jesus saves people with a history. Oh, I remember how guilty I felt raised in a Christian home. I could lead you to Christ and I wasn't living my faith. And some of us are under guilt or under nakedness or under condemnation or under bondage. And we said, I have no right to come to God. You're exactly right. You don't come to God. He comes to you and offers a great grace. And one more example. There was a man named Lazarus who was the perfect type, the natural realm being a type of the spiritual realm. Four days dead decomposing, decay, the, the smell and stench of death emanated from his tomb. And here we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus told us, he said, there's a day coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live. And he spoke that man's name and that decomposing man composed, came back together and walked out of the tomb. And so it is with many of the people in this room. 
We were dead, far, far from God, and he saved us. That's why we want to tell you our story. That's why I tell my story almost every chance I get. People come in and they see me on a Sunday, usually in my suit, and they go, oh, that's a preacher. Oh, no, no, no. I was a drunkard, bound in every type of perversion and sexual sin, filled with anger and depression, lost, confused, filled with regret, longing to die. I had this history that kept me from God. So he came to me with a great grace that says, wherever your sin abounds, my grace does much more abound. And my history became a testimony of God's great grace. And so it is in the people in this room. God saves people with a history. A naked criminal receiving the affection of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love it that he said he doesn't call righteous people to forgiveness. He calls sinners to repentance. Number two, Jesus saves people who've demanded signs from him that he didn't grant. If you're the son of God, save yourself. and Come down from the cross. Maybe you've been at the place where you said things like this. If you're God, prove it to me. Grant me this miracle. Show me that you're real. And God didn't do what you asked him to do. Maybe you've thought these thoughts. If you're God, why don't you step in and help the weak, the hungry, and the innocent children? If you're God, why did you let this person in my life die? If you're God, why didn't you stop these people from doing this to me? If you're God, why didn't you help me? Why didn't you answer my prayer? And why are so many of my prayers seemingly unanswered? Prove yourself to me. And God is quiet because God doesn't come to us on our terms. It's his salvation that he freely offers. And see, if he granted us a sign, then our relationship begins with us being in charge and God catering to us. And God does not stoop off the throne. He rules from the throne. The servant savior. But the Bible tells us that evil and adulterous generation demands signs from God. You say, well, I, I need some proof. If you had the proof, there wouldn't be the faith that steps out on nothing and says, I believe just your word, even if you don't manifest yourself to me. And I believe in my spirit because I've, I don't know if I've ever said this in church. I, I debated all evening last night and this morning, was I supposed to scratch this point because it was the only one that wasn't like in a continuity. But there's someone here today that you felt God, all he had to do was perform that one little thing for you and you would have believed and he didn't do it. But he saves people that demand signs that don't get them. He's gracious. Number three, Jesus saved people who have mocked him and or his very existence. It says in Mark 15 that the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him, which means they reviled him. They defamed him. They upbraided him, which means they found fault with him. Maybe you, like this thief, have found fault with the Lord and have mocked him. Maybe there's some that made fun of his children or God's church. Maybe you've judged his servants or made fun of their worship. Maybe you were the one raised in a Christian home who has ridiculed him by your sinning against the knowledge of the truth. Or maybe you're the one that just stays apart and mocks everything to do with God. 
you're still not disqualified. Do you see the common theme? It's not a matter of how far we are from the Lord. There aren't five, six, seven levels of death. We're just dead in our trespasses and sin. We're separated. But God saves people that even mocked him. Maybe there's someone in this room, you shook your fist at God and cursed him while you were angry. Cursed him at the loss of your child or the loss of your mom or dad. Cursed him when your marriage broke apart. Why didn't you just answer me? Why didn't you come for me? God saves people that even ridicule him and mock him. That's how deep his grace is. Jesus says, saves people because he loves them. He said, Father, forgive them. They whipped him and he said, forgive them. They beat him. They cursed him. They spit in his face. And he says, Father, forgive them. They whipped him till he was unrecognizable. And he said, forgive them. They make his open back carry the splintery cross up to Mount Calvary. And they spread him out wide and nail him to it. And he says, forgive them. They gamble for his clothes, thrust a sword into his side and offer him sour wine. He gets to the moment of death and from the abundance of his heart, he declares that it is his desire for every one of them to be forgiven, every one of them to be pardoned and none of them to be brought into judgment for the things that they've done. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes. Praise the Lord. Oh, I didn't love him, but he loved me. He loved me. See, herein is the love of God. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. We gave him our worst and he gives us his best. That's why people can be sentenced to eternity of punishment. Because when God gives you his best and you walk away and you trod underfoot the blood of the son of God as if it were nothing. Jesus loved us anyway. I won't tell you the whole story, but that's, that's the phrase that birthed me into the kingdom. Sitting in a church. I never went to church. I mean, years, years I hadn't been to church. And I remember the Lord speaking to me in my heart so real that I answered out loud in church. And so, you know, they're seeing me. And back then, everybody wore suits and dresses and hats, you know, and gloves. And I, did, I just had on like a T-shirt or something. I didn't, I didn't have church clothes. And I... Uh, I know they were looking at me, hearing me talk to myself like, he might be schizophrenic too. I don't know what's, he's just not fitting in. And I remember the Lord asked me three times, do you love me? I didn't, I'm not accustomed to hearing God's voice. I wasn't accustomed to feeling his spirit. And after three no's, I said, no, I don't love you. He said, that's all right. I love you anyway. And my life just split open like a dam would break. And I was saved. I wasn't even asking. Do you understand salvation is of the Lord? It's his doing. What part did you play in your first birth? You must be born again. So your first birth, what part did you play? What say in it did you have? Your mama winked at your daddy and, you know, you were born. What happens to a Christian when they're saved? The seed of the word of God hits their womb and they conceive the seed of God, the eternal seed of God, and their spirit is recreated in a moment and God slaps their rear in and they come into life. And if you ever hear anybody boasting on how they got saved, they probably weren't 
because it was the will of the Lord. I didn't do it. He just by mercy found my hiding place and saved me and rescued me and gave me new life. Jesus saves people because he loves them. How many of you have teenagers? How many of you have witnessed them go into brain dead seasons? Okay. Did you know at one time you were that teenager? Did, have you forgot that? Oh, no, I never talked to my mama like that. You know what a teenager says when they really want to hurt? You don't love me. Do you know why they say that? Because if they can convince themselves that you don't love them, then they don't owe you love back. And that's why it's so hard for us to admit the love of God because if God loves me, then I owe him love back. And the devil will tell you, God doesn't love you. You saw how you were raised. God doesn't love you. You see how you were done. And if he can keep you from grasping the love of God, you may pursue the Lord through rituals and church dogma and never find, never find the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is this. God so loved you that he died for you. That's the gospel. Jesus saves people because he loves them. Number five, Jesus saves people who recognize their true condition. One of the thieves said, don't you fear God even when you're dying? I'm dying. He knew where he was in his journey. Jesus saves people who are in pain. These men were crucified, have you thought of this? Along with Jesus. There were nails in their wrist. There were nails in their feet. But they were dying for their own sin. Jesus dies for people. He saves people who are in misery. And they acknowledge their true condition. This man said, I am dying. People like Adam who are hiding from the Lord. And God says, where are you? And he said, I'm here, over here, in my nakedness. People like Moses who are running because of their reputation. People like Samson who were blind and in chains because of their lost consecration. And people like the prodigal who've wasted their life on riotous living and then have an epiphany of who they are. And the prodigal said, here I am dying with hunger. I see my condition. I will go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How is it with you today? Do you understand that if you will acknowledge your condition before God, you are that close to eternal life? For a man to say, I'm lost. For a man to say, I'm a sinner. My sins have separated me from God. Jesus saves people who will tell the truth about their condition. It takes humility. And this thief said, I'm dying, watch, for my sins. Number six, Jesus saves people who have nothing to offer him. This is probably my favorite point in this morning's message. The thief had no youth left to offer the Lord. For he had wasted those years on self-indulgence and riotous living. He had no money or no resources because they were blown away by the wind of his choices. He had no influence with men to offer Jesus because his status as a criminal had erased that. The thief had no promises of tomorrow that he could make for his life. He only had a few minutes left. So think of this. Pan away 
take the camera and back out. And here's the Christ hanging, just marred. And a thief on this side and a thief on this side. And they're ridiculing him. And then one of them starts to turn just a little bit. And he says, uh, here we are dying. Don't you fear God? He starts to change. Okay, look at it. Look at it in the Bible. I want you to see it here. Where he was hanging beside him in Luke 23, 40. And here he is. What can he say? So here's Jesus. He can't say, Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll be a better person. I'll give you the rest of my life. What could he offer the Lord? Nothing. Now, in all honesty, what can you offer the Lord for your sins? Nothing. We can't come to church and turn over a new leaf. We can't just change our mind and change our ways. We are helpless and hopeless. There's nothing to offer God. But Jesus saves people with nothing to offer God. Because salvation is more, has more to do with who he is and who we are. You come to a place where all you have, all you have is hope in the mercy of God for your life. Number seven. Jesus saves people who by faith acknowledge the vital elements of God's great salvation. He said in Luke 23, 41, we deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has done no wrong. In that statement is the gospel. Listen to this. He said, we deserve what we get. He was acknowledging his sins. Ben, if you would come for me this morning. We deserve our payment for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So this man on the cross is admitting that he is a sinner. He is being judged for his sins and that Jesus had done no wrong. Jesus had done no wrong, no sins. He was the perfect spotless sacrifice for his sins. So here's the man. I am guilty of my sins, but this man has done no wrong. He was saying that we are sinners and the evil deeds of our life prove this fact. As for sinners, we deserve to die for the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ was without sin, the perfect lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And our only hope is to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And finally, Jesus saves people who ask. Jesus saves people who ask. Then the, the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus replied, I assure you today that this day you'll be with me in paradise. The thief asked, even though no one in his circle was asking. The thief asked, even though everyone was watching and could listen in on his appeal to the son of God. The thief asked, even though he had wasted his whole life. The thief asked before he ever straightened anything out. He asked just like he was. And the thief asked, even though he probably rejected Jesus earlier. How can you say that, John? The Bible doesn't say that he had heard the gospel or the message of the kingdom. Listen, how do we know 
that he more than likely had rejected Jesus before. Because he told Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Somewhere, I believe he heard Jesus talking about his kingship, his dominion, his glory, his position. And this naked man, see, I've seen the naked Christ for years, but now I see the naked man with nothing to offer, nothing to give, nothing to bring, no help, no hope. He said, Jesus, King, I believe. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you will reign and rule when you come into your kingdom. Just think about me. Man, I feel this so strong. Listen, he didn't say save me. I don't know if he understood the whole scope of salvation. But this much he knew. He watched Jesus live and he watched Jesus die and he said, if you even think about me, I'll be good. You just even think about me. And he turned to this naked man and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. One other thought. The Greek doesn't hold this out. But I just, I believe it means something else too. If you were to cut off your finger and you were to go to the emergency room, you would ask them to remember, put back together. So remember means recollect or recollect. Was he saying, I, I don't know. I just submit it to you. 10,000 shattered pieces. When you get to where you're going, will you put me back together? And he said, today. So Jesus dies first. We know that. He goes into the lower parts of the earth. And here's all the saints of the Old Testament that have died waiting on the Lamb of God. Because see, the blood of bulls and goats just postponed judgment. And then the blood of Jesus Christ went to the mercy seat to provide forgiveness for us. So he's down there talking to Moses and Elijah and David. And down comes who? <laughs> the last one to see him coming in. And as he goes into heaven... Open up ye everlasting gates and lift ye up ye everlasting doors so the king of glory can come in. And the angel said, who is the king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. He's the king of glory. And the gate swung open and who's right beside him? A thief. He hears the angelic music. He hears the song of the angels. He sees the beauty of heaven. He said, who are they? They said, those are the angels. He said, I can't go in with them. Who are these? Oh, these are the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I can't go in with them. Who are these? They're the priests, the Levitical priesthood. I can't go in with them. Who are they? Oh, there's the whores and the Mary Magdalene and the, and the tax collectors and the, uh, the liars and the covetous. And he, he goes, oh, I, I can go in with them. Great grace. He saves others. And today he wants to save you. As Ben sings this song, I want you just to close your eyes with me this morning and listen to the Lord's voice for you.
One more sign, one more day, some other time is what you say, but today's your day, your sign is here, the time is now, the Lord is near. Oh, and just reach out. And receive Him Just reach out And receive Him One more sign one more day, some other time is what you say, but today's your day, your sight is here, the time is now, the Lord Would you look to me just a moment? I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in just, just one second. One of the most humbling things as a preacher is I'm going to answer to God for every opportunity I give like this. To tell it straight. Tell it right. So I'm telling you, you are worse than you think you are. You're a sinner. We are sinners. And God's grace for you is greater than you think it is. Those two things. But you have to repent. If you don't repent, you'll perish in your sins. And there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. You can't bring anything to the table except the death of Jesus for you. Nothing else. And if you will accept God's judgment, guilty then you qualify for God's grace that makes you innocent. So with every eye open, who was this message for this week? I invite you to come walk the aisle. You need to do it publicly for your sake. No one will embarrass you in this church. I give you my word. Just come and kneel and talk to the Lord. Where are you? Who is it today that I was preaching to? Come on. Come on, who else? This is your day. Where are you? Saints praying all over this building. Where are you? Come. This is your day, man. Come on. Where are you?
This call is for you. The Lord's calling your name. Come on. Is there anybody else? If not today, when, sir? Ma'am, if not today, when? Come on, where are you? I just really believe that there's others. Come on. You're not joining this church. Nothing like that. You're accepting grace for your life. But you have to repent. God bless you, sir. If you're with someone that you brought today, don't embarrass them. Just reach over and take their hand, which means I'll go with you. Come on. If they need to come, I'll go with you. Is there anybody else today? Anyone else? Wait just a moment longer. People's lives are in the balance this morning. Where are you, backslider? Come home. Come home. Come on. Where are you? Would you look to me just a moment? This is my last appeal. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. Have I thrown the net into an empty lake? If it was me and I didn't present it right, look past me to the God that loves you and cares for you. I just believe it's your day, man. I, whether you like or dislike me, it's, it's not the relevant thing. I, I just wish you'd just let me go. Yeah, but I can't. One more appeal. Will you let Christ forgive you of your sins today? Where are you? God bless you. Where are you? Come on. People coming. Coming back home. Coming back home. <laughs> Christ saves people. He saves people. God bless you. He saves. He saves. He saves. He saved others. He saved others. Where are you, young man? Come on. Come on, young man. Courageously. Come on. Saints praying all over this building. We left time for this. That's why we stopped early. Come on. Where are you? Today's your day, man. Ben, just one other time, just softly. One more sign, one more day, but some other time is what you say. But today's your day, your sign is here, the time is now, the Lord is near. Oh, Jack.
down. Praise the Lord. And receive him. Just reach out. And receive him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Saints, would you stand with us this morning? Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Everybody in this altar has a story. And even if you know them, you don't know half of it. But I'm speaking to those in the altar. You don't even have to look at me. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed your transgressions from you. And somewhere in heaven today is a man known as the thief on the cross who knows more about grace than 10,000 preachers because Jesus saves people. One final thought before you go home. When they told him, he said, if you're the son of God, come down off the cross and save yourself. He didn't say it, but you know what he said? I didn't come here to save myself. I came here to save you. If you're grateful for that grace, would you join me and just lift your hands while I pray for us as we go home? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other people, all other systems, all other religions are sinking sand. God, I thank you today for the abundant grace that's ours through Jesus Christ the Lord. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead and we are saved. We shall be saved. We are eternally saved. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to your great mercy. Therefore, we thank you, O God, and we praise your great name. Maranatha, Lord, even now, come, Lord Jesus. Take us home unto yourself. I thank you, Lord, that there is no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who shall lay anything to God's charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. And we are justified. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we are. And so shall we ever be. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for saving people today. In your son's name, we glorify you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, would you offer the Lord one more clap this morning? Don't forget prayer tonight at 5 o'clock. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.